sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Wednesday, December 9th. Let's cock-a-doodle do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez, the spitting statistician, and with me, as always, is my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And we fundamentally put the fun in functional sports content. And, Kev, we had a uh, Tuesday night game. As I guess is not even, you know, unique anymore here in the NFL. But we had our Tuesday night game to finish off week 13. And in that game, the Baltimore Ravens run all over the Dallas Cowboys and get the job done 34-17. Kev, going into this game, we knew that Dallas was susceptible via the run. We knew about the Dallas Cowboys defense. We knew the Baltimore Ravens without Mark Andrews, with Lamar coming back from COVID were probably going to try to run all over Dallas and boy did they ever Kev you heard it in the update but as a team 37 carries for 294 yards on the ground eight yards a carry from an entire offense for an entire game yeah I'll say that'll get the job done Kev uh, it sure will. I'll tell you what, though, Dane, this season is really putting us to the test to try to figure out the timeline and what is making the difference. You and I have, you know, spent time disagreeing or, or, or seeing it differently when it comes to Chris Carson being removed from the Seahawks and Russell Wilson starting sure. to turn the football over, right? Just sure. yesterday, we had to talk about how Bud Dupree being out of Pittsburgh and what that means for this team. And was that defense? Sure. Maybe showing warts before Bud Dupree or not. Sure. Here we have another situation on our hands. After Ravens Steelers on Wednesday night, a week ago to the day, I felt as if they were starting to show that run game that made them who they were mm. last season. That inside power run with RG3 looked like the inside power run that Lamar ripped teams apart. And what mm. do you know? Fourth and two, wow. Lamar right up the middle, 30-plus yard touchdown, and starts to set the tempo for a ground game that would dominate from start to finish. But here we are. Dane, was it a offense and a ground game that was starting to round into form? Or was it the Cowboys' defense? This is what we're going to have to try to figure out from now until January if Baltimore is going to be a part of the big dance. Yeah, you know, I would actually hold out hope for answer C to be my true answer, which is both. You know what I mean? And I think in this game, that could have been the case. I mean, the play you're talking about, right? The early fourth down where Lamar goes up the gut. They showed the replay on that. And like, Leighton Van Der Esch is a good player, okay? But yeah. the fake to Dobbins on the outside... 
Van Der Esch takes like three steps going that way, following Dobbins to the mm-hmm. perimeter, and he vacates the gap that is, you know, exactly where Lamar goes. So absolutely, okay, that's what a read option does. That's what some of this kind of movement and motion and play action, that's what it is intended to do, right, as we bring in our radio audience from around the country, from around the globe. Big shout out to everybody getting on the grid early with us. But, you know, Kev, it was different kind of runs, right? Because Gus Edwards is more pound in the rock. He goes for over 100. J.K. Dobbins, the good house elf, he's able to kind of threaten the perimeter on the edge off tackle. He goes 11 for 71, gets into the end zone late. You know about Lamar as well. It seems like they're realizing that Mark Ingram has less tread on the tires, but still Mm -hmm. obviously a valid piece of this as well. And Kev, you know, we talk about this as a passing league, right? We talk about all the evolution to the passing league. We talk about pass interference, you know, making it hard to play defense, unnecessary roughness, making it hard to play defense. Kev, on the other side of things, we have like three teams that are on playoff graphics at least where their quarterbacks like barely crack a hundred, right? Like Lamar in this one, what 107 yards passing, you know, the way we talk about Cam Newton, they're on the playoff graphic. He hasn't gotten over a hundred in like two straight games. Taysom Hill for the saints is able to do so without throwing a touchdown pass in two of his three starts, just running the ball. It's almost like Kev. Yes, there's this passing league, but there are still, you know, a select few teams that are going to be like, wait, a second it's still possible to win this other way and if you're real good at it you're live against anybody and i think it's it's really fascinating when you look at who the teams are though right so sure lamar last year we felt you know kind of bended the league a little bit everything was pass first pass first and lamar and the ravens and we knew they were like oh they're dominating through their ground game and they were dominating through that ground game. And they then, now they ultimately didn't get right to the Super Bowl, but they dominated the NFL last year. And one of the games where they embarrassed that Bill Belichick defense that was shutting down everyone. And then Bill, right, takes note of it all. And he adds himself a run first with a running quarterback. Sure. And also Sean Payton, an innovative guy, yeah. keeps Taysom Hill around to give himself this same type of opportunity. Absolutely. And think about it. A team that went to the Super Bowl last year from the NFC, the Niners, was a schemed running game that led that attack as well. It just looked a little bit different. We'll talk about this game more. We'll talk about what this means for the playoff picture. When we come back, we are off and running here. It's the early line. Your heart's ready. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Right here to the early line. We're talking about Ravens, Cowboys, and and. 
in essence, when Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are like breaking records, right? Throwing the ball, uh, dynamic offenses. We see 350 yard games. We see teams putting it up 45, 50 times. We are reminded with guys like Lamar Jackson, guys like Taysom Hill, you know, that there is this other way of trying to go at it, even though they're few and far between in the NFL. If you've got that you know, left hand, maybe it can still work. What'd you see out of Lamar in this one? Okay. Because listen, he does the running. He gets the touchdown. 12 of 17 is kind of efficient. He does still turn the ball over early and Kev, he's throwing picks in the first quarter, like all the time now, which is something that I think Mm -hmm. we have to consider. And, you know, to be quite honest, there were some throws there still. There was a third down one, I believe Boykin that sailed high and everybody was making the point because of his arm slot and his elbow. There are still things to work on there for Lamar, even if he can be this supernova with immense talent kind of whenever he wants. Yeah, there's definitely going to be stuff to work on, right? Now, the interception, in my opinion, was more on Hollywood Brown. I feel like it was a very lazy effort from Hollywood to not make a better effort to catch that football. The funny thing about Lamar is this 12 for 17 107 game. It's just really tough to evaluate it at all. Like if I were to ask people on the surface who had a better game throwing the football, Lamar or Andy Dalton. I mean people would scoff at the question. But Lamar averaged more yards per attempt. I mean, Lamar just didn't need to throw the ball, right? It's the deal with Cam Newton right now, as I sit here on a weekly basis, rooting for the Patriots to play some good football, but also like, ah, eh, can you get behind the eight ball so look, Cam has to throw it? Like, right, right, right. I don't need to yeah. throw it, right? Like, that's they, the, right. the way they are trying to win football games yes. is not with Lamar throwing the ball 40 times a game. Mm-hmm. I, the big point of contention for Baltimore is, well, can you win if he has to throw 40 times right. a game? Listen, that's the cherry on top, right? The reality, like, this is, there's, a, there's this old standing debate in the NBA. If you've got, you know, who do you want with the ball with five seconds on the shot clock, right? right? And I used right. to always say, uh, I want my guy to be on the bench because we're up 20. That's the ideal sure. scenario. So as far as Lamar, I don't want to be down 10 in the Super Bowl. If I am, sure. we all know who we want, and we know who we want second, and we know who we want third. We know what guys sure. we're looking for. But in an ideal world for the Baltimore Ravens, they do what they did last year. They just beat teams up. And Lamar's on the bench, and RG3's taking snaps. No, I think that is fair. And, you know, we talk about it all the time. You know, you do what you need to do to win, not to impress in a box score, not for your fantasy team, right? And a lot of times style makes fight because of the matchup, because of the game. It dictates what you need to do to ultimately want win. One guy they didn't have to be able to win last night was Des Bryant, who in an interesting story had an inconclusive test, was then out there in pregame warmups. They ran the second point of contact rapid test, which came up positive. After he was out there already, so they pulled him from the game in pregame, and then, boy, was Dez, who was excited to face his former team of the Dallas Cowboys. He went off. He went off on the NFL. He went off, like, on his on himself. He said he was leaving the team. Then he said he was back. Then he said he would be drinking wine all night. I understand that, you know, he didn't— um want to miss this game but my bigger question is how is he out there when it's still inconclusive in the first place this sounds a lot like justin turner in game six of the world series kev 
It does. I don't really know why he's there. See, and this is the thing with these sports leagues. We talked about this. It where mistakes happen is when you get lax. When you feel like, ah, eh, we've got it under control. Right. So I'm sure for the Baltimore Ravens, Dane, this isn't the first time they've had an inconclusive test. And every sure. time they've gotten it back, I'm sure it comes back negative and it's no worries. And ah, just let Des practice. He wants to say what's up to the Cowboys. He's going to play. We need him to warm up. But for the love of God, if one team was going to be super cautious right now, it might be the team that flipped the NFL schedule on its head in the Baltimore Ravens. It is what it is. Hopefully it's not a situation where he has now spread this virus elsewhere. The thing about the virus is we just don't know, and we won't know for a little bit. I do want to say... That's crushing for Des Bryant. Des had not played since 2017 before this season. Do you guys remember when Des Bryant signed with the New Orleans Saints, right? Yeah, and then banged his Achilles in practice before his first game. ripped his leg up. (laughs) I mean, it was... And it's been a battle back for this guy to find a spot in the league to get a shot. And he's on a Baltimore Raven team with playoff aspirations, need help, needs help at the wide receiver position, and he gets to go out there and play his former team. And, I mean, right before kickoff, yeah. that's taken away from you. I'll tell you what, I crack a bottle of wine myself and go on a little Twitter rant if I was Des Bryant. No, I, I, I hear that. And it was interesting because, like, if you're watching any of the pregame show and stuff like that, it is piece after piece after piece about Des Bryant and about the value he has now with some of the young receivers in Baltimore, what he's doing. It was framed as a big old Des Bryant reclamation project. And then they had to literally be like, oh, but he's not playing. They had more packages and more highlight things to roll in the pregame with him. Like, that was their rundown. And then it got pulled from. From him so we shall see about that um let's talk briefly on the dallas side right because the dallas side listen they saw in this division they saw the g-men get a w they saw the football team get a w and and listen you know zeke looked like they were giving him more opportunity than they had in recent games pollard was still a piece of this gallup gets in the end zone cd lamb almost caught a hail mary at the end of the first half you know what they have i still feel like they have pieces on this roster kev but now with another loss they fall to three and nine you know they are now two games back in the nfc east and they're going to wind up picking in the top 10 it looks like this year it looks that way it certainly does but I thought they looked all right in this football game. I actually was more impressed with their offense in the second half when they weren't able to score points than in the first half where they were fluking into some points. We just look at the schedule, Dane. They're favored yeah. next week against the Cincinnati Bengals. And they're gonna I was like, who are they going to be favored against? What are you talking about? Oh, it's actually on the okay. road, too. It's actually on the road as well. I don't know. I think really? everybody would be favored against Cincinnati right now. I think that's where we're at with Cincinnati. Like, even. Nah, the Jets and the Jags would not be favored. The Jets, the Jets I think, Jets are favored over the Bengals. I think the Jets in are In New York? Over the not in Cincy. Really? I, I think so. I think so. But, in nevertheless. Cincy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dallas is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Dallas yeah, is a favorite through a key road number. favorites anywhere? Against the- <laughs> but, all right, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess what I just think the number would be. But, listen. Fair enough. It, Go ahead. it is what it is. 
So the Cowboys are favored to win that game next week, right? Fine. Then they're going to get an opportunity to host Nick Mullins at home. It's winnable. It's winnable. The final two games are division games. It's Philly, right? Versus the Eagles and at the Giants. Now, do I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to rip off 4-0 to end the year? Not really, but do I think that they should be 16-1 to and be below the Philadelphia Eagles to win this division? No, not really. I I don't yeah. see it that because again, as and those results for the Giants and the Washington Footballs, two of the absolute best results that any teams yeah. have had all season long. I mean, right up there with the Chiefs embarrassing Baltimore in Baltimore, yeah, the yeah, Browns yeah. offense coming to life in Tennessee. Yeah. Right, absolutely yeah. right. All of those, like those two, are right there. So they have a lot of momentum. They still also have some difficult schedules coming up the rest of the way, especially the Giants, who sit in first place right now. The tough thing for Dallas is if Washington wins one more game, then the Cowboys need to run the table because they've lost the tiebreaker. We've done this every week, Dane. 16-1. to Probably a little too. Listen, you give all those opponents, and it sounds possible, but this team just gave up almost 300 yards rushing. So all those other teams are looking at Dallas in the same way. We got Joe Lisi. We go for the two when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge. Big shout out to all of our affiliates for hopping on the grid bright and early in the morning with us on the early line. And if it is Wednesday morning, you know we are going to go for the two with our guy, Joe Lisi. We bring him in on Wednesday morning here on the early line. And, Joe, we've got a lot to discuss. How you doing this morning, brother man? Oh, I'm amped up. Week 15. Who thought we would be here at this point in the in the college football season? We have uncertainty. We don't know yeah. who's going to be the top two, uh, four teams in the nation. I'm I'm psyched, you know, for this coming Saturday. Absolutely, absolutely, Joe. And there was the unveiling of the rankings last night, as per normal. And you know, I mean. Listen, the top is pretty much unchanged. We know those four teams that are there. We know the four teams the college football playoff would like to be in their semifinal matchups as we start the season. But I guess we got to start with the big elephant in the room here. Right, Joe? The Ohio State Buckeyes. For a long time, we have been hearing, listen, they need to have six games in order to qualify for the Big Ten Championship. A lot of conspiracy theorists over the last couple of weeks were like, hmm, could the state of Michigan, even without losing or beating Ohio State, completely kneecap the Buckeye season? And what do you know? Michigan yesterday has decided that they are not going to be able to play Ohio State this Saturday. All right, they have a lot of uh, uh, an outbreak on their hands, a lot of players testing positive. They have paused activities. So, on the one hand, Joe, that would leave the Buckeyes at 5-0, and technically by the letter of the law, not able to qualify 
for the Big Ten Championship. However, literally, Joe, just in the last 12 to 18 hours, I have heard, I don't know, half a dozen different theories on how the Big Ten is still going to find a way to get Ohio State in, whether it is finding another opponent, reducing the rule. You know, there's a lot of things people are lobbying for. The Big Ten is meeting today, I understand. How do you think this plays out? Because you and I both know Ohio State will find themselves in the championship game somehow. Well, the Big Ten was now with their backs against the wall, right? When they started the season in terms of, you know, the last week of October, first week in November, and they never thought that they would be in this type of situation. But because it is Ohio State, they're going to make every reprieve that they possibly can, Dane, to get the Buckeyes at least a great chance into the college football playoff. A lot of people were tweeting out after this game got canceled, oh, it would be Indiana on deck because Indiana and Purdue is on the the verge of right. being canceled because of activity on Purdue's campus, but it's quite the contrary. It's it's paused activities with the Indiana Hoosiers. They were talking about possibly meeting or matching up Ohio State and Iowa next week. Iowa plays their arch rival Wisconsin this coming Saturday in Iowa City. So if that game plays out, that's a solid matchup for the Buckeyes. But is it enough? to catapult them into the top four, even though they're there right now, we have to see how this plays out. So the question I have is, can Ohio State, whether they don't play another game, whether they play Iowa, Purdue, Northwestern, can they do anything in your eyes to finish up with a better resume than either the Notre Dame Fighting Irish or the Alabama Crimson Tide? If either, even if either of those two teams were to lose in their conference title game, or is the gap too great, considering that those two teams are going to double the amount of games played that the Buckeyes, the Buckeyes will finish with? I don't think they can, uh, Kevin, in terms of that. I just, I, I'm not a buyer of that. On paper, I know that the, they're Ohio State. I know that they challenged Trevor Lawrence and Clemson last year in the semifinal playoff game. And that's really what we're looking at while, while we're putting in Ohio State in terms of a body of work. It's into the top four right now because if it was just the five games that they played, yeah, they're one of the top teams in the country. But you can make the argument for Cincinnati. You can make the argument for USC up until this point in terms of Keaton Slovis. I mean, there are other undefeated teams, but we're utilizing last year's performance because they are Ryan Day in Ohio State, and that's why we're cracking them into the college football playoff. And I agree. You know, they have the personnel and the players, but for what Notre Dame and what Alabama have done up until this point, I can't put them ahead of both of those teams, even if they lose one game during the process in the next couple weeks. Hey, Joe, with you, we always like to look forward. We have the context of the standings. We're trying to project what might happen for the college football playoff. But I would love to get your thoughts if we look back on what I thought was an amazing game on Saturday where BYU decided to take the challenge on short notice, travel to Coastal Carolina in a, you know, huge setting. Game day was there. I thought it was a tough spot. I thought after the first play of like a 95-yard touchdown that gets called back, 
back. They're doing double passes in the first half. I'm like, oh, they've got this. But no, they didn't, Joe. That Coastal Carolina scheme and run attack, their their 5'9 center, right? Uh, Some of their defensive line, I didn't like what some of them did with Zach Wilson at the end of the first half. I did think that was absolutely Bush League. But, Joe, what a game. What a finish. And what a spotlight for a team like Coastal Carolina and even BYU. Give me, what were your thoughts on that game? What does it mean for those programs, maybe in terms of a New Year's Day bowl? And what does it mean for, you know, the little guy in general to see that spotlight and to produce a very exciting game, leaving people who may have not have seen these teams before saying, hey, this is solid football here. Yeah, and I think it really epitomizes what the the whole college football season and experience is all about. That quick turnaround for BYU to go on the road. I thought it would be a very difficult spot for them in terms of a scheme type of advantage going up against a blue-collar team in Coastal Carolina. Two solid quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, everybody talked about, but Grayson McCall, the freshman, 20 touchdowns, one interception, a mobile guy, really got it done, and he got banged up in the first half, guys. When you look at both of these programs in terms of what they were able to do this year, to run the table up until week number 14, to be one of the marquee games in terms of a top 10 matchup, you can't ask for anything more. Now, I will say this about Coastal Carolina. This is not personally a one-hit wonder. You you look at the SI there, that's Joe Mowgli, the former TD Ameritrade president. He went to Coastal Mm. as a coach a couple years ago. There is a ton of money being flooded into the program, and I've said this before, that they could be like the Boise State was about 10 years ago right. Th- right now in terms of the group of five. This is not going to be a one-hit wonder. They have the type of resources to recruit in terms of the Carolinas. They can get people and athletes from Florida and Georgia. So they have an opportunity to build the program here, and they've done it on the defensive side of the ball. Force op- uh, force turnovers. They're opportunistic. And when you play solid run defense, you, you have an opportunity to win at every level and C.J. Maribel, they're running back, a very under-the-radar player, a blue-collar player that epitomizes the program. The power and changing the color of the turf seems real. Yep. You mentioned BYU, who was one of Dane's teams. He grabbed a lot of teams along the way. But I think <laughs> the main one was Cincinnati, and this was a heartbreaking day for my guy, Dane Martina. That's why I bring it up, because I'm sure it is still difficult for him to utter these words, but... The Bearcats punished for being idle is how it seems, Joe, as the Iowa State Cyclones jump up to this seventh Other teams spot. aren't punished for being idle, but hey. Yeah, no, he's What'd right. It, I mean, Dane's right. Dane's right. I mean, that game with Tulsa, you know, is going to be a great battle. And, and that's going to be two solid defenses. You got to give the edge to Cincinnati going, you know, into that matchup. That's why they're significant favorites, you know, in that ball game. But again, Tulsa is a blue collar team. They bend, they don't break. They're, they have an ability to play from behind. They're battle tested and they have some speed on the perimeter to challenge Cincinnati over the top. So I agree with Dane. I think if you're going to put Cincinnati at seven or you going to put them in the top five you know in a in a ranking or a poll how can you then hurt them because they game got canceled because of covid i just don't see it so i agree with you you should be upset but make no mistake about it cincinnati a great 2020 campaign i just don't think they have enough in the tank to get them into the top four 
Yeah, fair enough. And one of the reasons they will not now is because there's going to be a Big 12 championship game, and that's going to be Iowa State and the Sooners, who are now all the way back up to number 11. We got a lot of these championship games kind of solidified. I think it's funny. In the ACC, they were like, don't play the rest of your season. We're going to have Notre Dame, Clemson in the championship game. Let's just fast forward to that. With Cincy and Tulsa, they were like, no, 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 don't play in the regular season. We've got the matchup we need. Let's just fast forward to that. And we have a Big 12 championship game. Let's fast forward to that, Joe. How do you see Iowa State and Oklahoma matching up? And what's the ceiling for, say, the Cyclones if they boat race the Sooners? Well, I mean, that's going to be an interesting matchup. You remember that Iowa State trailed Oklahoma at a half. They came from behind and, and dominated Spencer Rattler and the crew, and they're running the football as well as anybody in the nation, averaging around 195 rushing yards per game, wore down a very good West Virginia front seven last week in Ames in a dominating home win, and Oklahoma is back on track. They're starting to run the football with their running back, Stevenson, averaging around 165 on the ground. They struggled a little bit last week with an athletic defensive front in Baylor. Now go on the road to face West Virginia. Is this a potential trap game though, guys? Keep an eye mm. out for West Virginia at home. They're 5-0 and straight up. Play much better at home than they do on the road with the Big 12 championship okay. in the horizon. I like West Virginia with the 14 points here. I mean, I wow. think they can run the football. For some turnovers, don't be shocked if they're in striking distance in this All matchup. Right. Well, that will certainly be music to our producer Brian's ears when we come back. You stick around with us. We'll start to project out games this week, what we think is going to happen in the playoff. More with Joe Lisi here on the early line when we come back. From the City of Angels to the Big Apple, shake it up with Pharrell Coast to Coast. Shake it up. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on SportsGrid. We continue to go for the two because, you know, we looked at our card. It said that the score was right. We shouldn't go for the extra point. We should, in fact, go for the two. Our team is hitting on two-point conversions at a 58% clip. So, of course, we continue to go for the two with our guy, Joe Lisi. And, Joe, in these conversations we've been having weekly, you have continued to maintain the idea that USC out west if they were to be undefeated as a power five kind of conference champion would have a path to still crash the party or have a legitimate gripe. I want to check in on that. Do you still believe USC is the class of the Pacific time zone? Do you still see a path? What What's going on with the Trojans out west, Joe? Yeah, well, they jumped five spots, right? They went from 20 right. to 15 after that dominating home win over Washington State. They play arch rival UCLA. Opened up as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. It's down to two-and-a-half in the FanDuel Sportsbook. They dominated this matchup last year, won by fi over 15 points and covered that number in the Coliseum. I think they are head and shoulders above every team that I've seen. One team I think that can challenge them if they have an opportunity to play would be from a defensive perspective would be the 
Washington Huskies that play arch rival Oregon this coming Saturday, but they lost right. last week to Stanford. I just think from a defensive perspective, this is possibly the best defense that we've seen under Clay Helton in the last four years. They can run sideline to sideline. They're opportunistic, can play man-to-man coverage in the secondary. And when you have a trigger man in terms of the quarterback position in Keaton Slovis and do two big play wide receivers, St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's, this can be a lethal team. Now, do they get that shot? I think the argument comes if USC runs the table, dominates UCLA this weekend. They play in the Pac-12 championship. Keep in mind, Colorado's undefeated as well, but they have the inside edge they were supposed to play. I think you can make the argument over Ohio State that USC, if they're a Pac-12 champion and do it in dominating style, have a chance to crack the college football playoff because of TV because of sponsorship, and it is the Over LA the Buckeyes. Over the Buckeyes. They're a conference champion, and I think that matters. Right. Yeah, fair enough. You know, Joe, I think the one thing that is standing in the front of the USC, Iowa State, Cincinnati, is the fifth team in the country that I think this show, quite openly, was rooting to lose last week. Because yes. I'm kind of old. I was. A&M. <laughs> I know Dane was. I mean, Dane wasn't even trying to remotely hide it. And, Joe, I know you liked Auburn in the game. And I watched that game. Watched watched that game closely. Didn't come away impressed with A&M. Kellen Mon threw a pick that very well could have ended the game. Not only was it dropped, it then landed in the arms of an A&M player for a touchdown. And that swung the game entirely. AM does get the win. They get the cover. At the end of the day, they got the result that was necessary up against War Eagle. And I don't know if to how much the committee, I don't feel like they're factoring in point spreads enough on the committee. And I say that earnestly. They're just not. It is what it is. Is AM the stopgap, though, right now, Joe, for a Big 12 title winner, a Pac 12 title winner? Because it seems that way. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it, out of the Big 12 winner, because the Big 12 winner both has two losses, you know, Oklahoma and Ohio, uh, Iowa State. So I agree with that. But I, I'm in agreement with you in the sense I, I don't think Texas A&M is the fifth best team in the country. I know they have one loss. They got boat raced by Alabama and Tuscaloosa. They allowed, in terms of a secondary perspective, half the year quarterbacks to complete 70% completion percentage. Bo Nixon, that offense, wore them down in the first half, had the halftime lead over Kellen Mann. He's an inconsistent quarterback, but because it's Jimbo Fisher, because they have one loss on their resume, people are going to put Texas A&M into the argument. Quality win is over Florida. That was because Florida fumbled on the final drive, and somehow, some way, they won that matchup. I think if they played again today or this weekend, Florida and Kyle Trask would would dominate that matchup, win by double digits. So I'm in agreement with you. I think Texas A&M is way overrated. Outside that Florida win, where's the marquee win on their resume? Yeah, I can't find it either, Joe. I want to ask you a two-part question here because we always are focusing on can someone get to the top four? What's the playoff going to look like? And I think that's important context for a game. And the larger question I want to ask you, I want to ask you about North Carolina and Miami this week, which I think is going to be an exciting game, right? We know that the Tar Heels can score. We see what King has been doing for the Hurricanes. There's no uh, ACC championship implications because of the Irish and the Tigers, but this is a pretty good game. And it brings up for me a larger question. These are two teams that 
can maybe qualify for a New Year's Day bowl, have other things on the line, motivation, momentum for their program, even going into next year. I know what Mac Brown is doing in Carolina, right? But does it any does it matter? At all? Like, we have eight bowl games that have been canceled already. Players are starting to opt out. My question is, even for teams like Carolina or Miami or Northwestern in whatever bowl game they wind up in, right? At some point in about three weeks, is there going to be a mass exodus, though? Are players going to be like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't need the swag from the Independence Bowl because we're not going to have the events and the parties and all that stuff. And my fear is that in about two weeks, we're going to forget about everybody else, everything else. None of these bowls are going to matter. None of these players are going to want to play. Are we going to miss out? Uh, on caring about games like a Carolina, Miami, these other kind of bowl games that are not part of the college football playoff. How are teams, uh, ADs, individual players, bowl sponsors, how are they going to handle the end of the season when there's not the obvious, oh, we're competing for a championship? What if it's not worth it anymore? Yeah, it's a great point, Dane. And I was conflicted about the Miami-North Carolina game at the start of the week. You know, flip a coin. Miami's playing well. They're one loss on the year. But here's the thing that I broke it down and that I'm going to roll with this coming uh, Saturday in terms of my assessment and breakdown. North Carolina won this game last year, 28-25, to to last-second victory. Actually, it was 25-24 on a last-second play by Sam Howell and the crew in Chapel Hill. Now they go on the road. Miami, De'Ara King playing their last home game you have to give the edge to Miami right but I agree with you when they have one loss they're not playing for an ACC title they're not going to a college football potential playoff spot right what's the mindset of the Miami Hurricanes this game means more in my opinion to North Carolina than it does Miami because last time North Carolina was on primetime they got abused by Notre Dame and Ian Book so the, the incentive is there in my opinion with their head coach Mac Brown going on the road to face Miami as a three, three-and-a-half-point underdog. You have two great quarterbacks in De'Ara King and Sam Howell. I think this game is very high-scoring. I think it blows through mm-hmm. the 67-and-a-half total, but I like North Carolina to win this ball game. And keep in mind, rivalries matter. So Army, Navy, Virginia, sure. Virginia Tech, Washington, Oregon, Wisconsin, Iowa, look to underdogs in terms of that environment because those games really hold a lot of weight. So outside the other games where we can see a mass exodus, it'll matter to the lesser programs, teams like Coastal okay. Carolina, teams in the Sun Belt like UL Lafayette in terms of bowl games. Those are the type of atmosphere and programs right. you look to for catching value throughout the bowl season. Joe, when it comes to college football, there has been this conversation around SEC bias for as long as I know I can remember. And they make up 50% of the top six, but, I mean, Bama does look that good. And A&M beat Florida, and Florida looks that good. I've had my qualms with Georgia being ranked as high as they were. They did get jumped this week by Iowa State. But they're... Missouri is 25th, Joe. You watch way more than I do, so I will just be wrong about this if I'm wrong. But this team gets ranked when they don't even cover a two-and-a-half-point spread at home against Arkansas with a walk-off field goal 50-48. I mean, that just does not scream ranked to me. Why? Because they boat raced 
Vanderbilt? I mean, tell that story walking. It just it feels clear as day. Hey, we've got Georgia now, a top 25 opponent in Missouri. But maybe I'm wrong, Joe. Is Missouri better than I'm giving them credit for? And are they maybe live in that football game against the Bulldogs? Well, uh, from a defensive perspective, uh, Kevin, they are, uh, you know, a live dog in the matchup. You know, it's simple for the fact of their linebackers, Nick Bolton and, and, and others can run sideline to sideline. They can contain the rushing attack of Georgia. They have a freshman quarterback. They have the type of offensive scheme to challenge Georgia over the top. And traditionally, go back a couple of years ago, they covered a 14-and-a-half-point number exactly in this spot when Drew Locke was there. So, Keep that in mind as well. You know, potentially Missouri plays them very tough. They lost this matchup 27 to nothing last year on the road in Athens, but we're in that ballgame in the first half from a defensive perspective. I, again, it's a it's a freshman quarterback going up against that Kirby Smart defense. That's the concern that I have. Blazevac going up against that secondary. If Georgia is focused with J.T. Daniels and the crew, I think they rolled the Tigers on Saturday afternoon. Hey, Joe, last one from me. We got about a minute or a half left. Um, Washington, Oregon, right? You keep talking about this as a rivalry game. A few weeks ago, I would have thought it was big for the Pac-12. Neither one of them find themselves now in the top 25 in terms of the college football playoff standings. You mentioned USC, Colorado, out west. Talk to me, though, about Huskies-Ducks because, you know, a lot of people think this is a uh, marquee matchup for the conference. Yeah, Oregon's won 14 of the last 16 in the series straight up. They've won the last two by three and a half points per game, won 35 to 31 last year. But I like the Huskies. I took them plus four and a half, plus six, took them on the money line as well. They have the type of physicality to go toe-to-toe with Oregon in this matchup. Secondary only giving up 185 passing yards per game. Dylan Morris, a good quarterback, plays well within the scheme, but they're forcing turnovers. Entering this battle, plus five in turnover margin, to me that carries weight. The ability to run the football and force turnovers. Washington, I think, wins this ball game against the Ducks. Joe, I'll ask you quickly, I don't know if you've gotten involved with this game at all yet, but Coastal, off of the biggest win in program history, will travel to Troy. My guess is that everybody just watched that Coastal game and will buy, buy, buy. The spread right now is 13 and a half. I don't know, maybe it gets to 14, maybe it gets to 14 and a half. Is there a number where you would fade Coastal Carolina? Not because they're not for real, but gee, I mean, they just had the biggest win in program history. Yeah, Sometimes... There's a little bit of a letdown. Is that possible going up against Troy? It is possible. If I had to bet the game, I would bet Troy in this matchup, but I'm staying away. The one thing I've learned about, especially with teams like that, the trend is your friend at the end of the year. If I do bet against Coastal, it might be in a bowl environment where they've had like a three-week layoff or even a two-week mm. layoff to disrupt mm. that timing. So right here, right now, I think that's the mindset of a lot of gamblers. I don't want to be on that train. I like to be... I like to be on when other people are off. So I think a lot of Sharps are looking to play Troy this coming Saturday. I'm not with them. Absolutely, Joe. You know, you got to zig when others are zagging. That's what we do to try to be profitable here on the grid. Joe, well, thank you, as always, for spending part of your Wednesday morning with us. I have a feeling that next week, when we're talking about it, there will be more chaos, more beef, and more issues for us to hash out. So hopefully you'll be back then, and we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe? Anytime, guys. 
Absolutely. When we come back, we put our number one of the early line to bed. We turn our attention to week 14. Oh, and by the way, the NBA is getting started like this Friday with their preseason. We'll catch you up on that as well when we come back right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on the grid, the spitting statistician and the candle burner, breaking down the top 25 with Joe Lisi. You know, Two things that struck me, Kev. One, Joe still likes USC and USC's chances. I don't know if I feel as strongly about it, right? However, like, he does make a good point on its face, right? An undefeated conference champion USC from a Power 5 school, the same as Ohio State, right? With limited games, the same as Ohio State. And quite frankly, Kev, USC does have national cachet profile. The networks would be just fine with USC, right? So I, I, it is interesting. I know it's not apples to oranges, but like, and I know they have a long way to go. I don't think it's going to happen, but... I think USC is interesting if they do, you know, get through their gauntlet. So I should be careful with this phrase because the last time I said it to someone, it totally blew up in my face. But I'll say it anyway. Joe sounds like somebody with money on USC to win the national championship. It's what it is. Like, And here's the deal, Dane, right? Does USC have more national acclaim than Ohio State as it presently stands? No. Notre Dame is a more historic program than Ohio State. We all know they prefer the Buckeyes in over the Fighting Irish. Also, here's what USC does not have that all of these other teams do. They don't have the games played argument in their favor. They played less games than Ohio State. The Pac-12 has less acclaim right now than the Big Ten. Like, they they need Ohio State to lose. Point period. If Ohio State does not need to play one more game in order for USC to jump over them, but if we're going to open the door to, oh, well, USC can get there if Ohio State loses, well, sure, but so can Coastal and Cincinnati. And Cincinnati! Iowa. I mean, <laughs> hey, if Indiana gets rescheduled, or hey, if Purdue, yeah. whoever the heck is supposed to play Ohio State wins this weekend, maybe they can get it. Yeah. It's interesting. What's also interesting to me is that the Big Ten is going to bend over backwards to get Ohio State that important sixth game. Why not move stuff around for Wisconsin also? Don't they need more games to qualify? But I digress. I guess that's a different situation. Hour two of the early line up next after this. <laughs> 